Well, this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk, as Shondor said, next Sunday, uh, we have been doing 21 days of prayer and fasting at Liberty Church for many years, and we have decided years ago, there's a law in the Bible, it's called the law of the first fruits, and the law of the first fruits simply says this, what you do first determines what happens to the rest. What you do with the first determines what happens with the rest. That's why the tithe is the first 10%, because what you do with the first determines what happens with the rest. And so we decided years ago that we wanted to just dedicate the first month of the year. We wanted to take 21 days committed to prayer and fasting. And one of the things we've recognized over the years is most, especially us as American Christians, most American Christians have never done a 21 fast. Most have never done even any kind of fasting, really, in many forms or any form or fasting. And so what I want to do today is just really talk about a little bit about why we do that and the power behind prayer and fasting and what God really wants to do in our lives through prayer and fasting. And so let me just say this before we jump into the scripture. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 6 if you got your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen if you want to. But before we jump to the scripture, I want you to just think about something. In the world, uh, typically when it comes to New Year's Eve and New Year's, everybody's talking about their New Year's resolutions. And statistics prove that most people's New Year's resolutions don't even make it through the first month, much less through the entire year. And so I want to challenge us today to do something different. Instead of making a New Year's resolution, why don't we decide today that we're going to make a daily decision, that we're going to settle on some daily decisions, that we're going to make a daily decision that's going to create what I like to call holy habits. How many of you understand we need some holy habits in our lives, right? We live in an unholy world, and there's enough stuff that's bombarding us every day. We need some holy habits to help literally change the trajectory of our life and move us toward what God has called us to do. And most of us in this room can probably think back over our lives. I want you to think about it for a minute. There have probably been a couple decisions you've made along the way of your life that literally changed the trajectory of your life. You made a decision to follow Jesus. How many know that's a game changer right there when you accepted Christ? That'll change everything. But you made decisions maybe to just begin to walk in integrity. You made a decision just to begin to do the next right thing. And it's those simple daily decisions that really do transform our life. The, the, there's, there's an old saying that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And, and the only way to get anywhere is to take one step. And the power of a daily decision is that if I begin to do something every day, if I begin to cultivate consistency, I can literally transform any area of my life under the purpose and power of our God who loves us. Amen? So let's talk about prayer and fasting and kind of creating some holy habits. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus begins to teach on prayer and fasting. And this is what he says. He says, when you pray, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. So let me just stop there for a second. A couple thoughts I want us to think about in prayer. First of all, Jesus says, when you pray, don't do what the hypocrites do. 
Because Jesus was living in a culture where the religious leaders had begun to move into a thing called hypocrisy. They were pretending to be something they really weren't. And what was happening in that culture is all the religious leaders had gotten caught up in this ideology and this idea that they wanted to do what they did to be seen by men. And it was all about power and prestige. It was kind of the old, it was kind of the Bible version of social media. Right? I'm just going to post the best picture, right? We just fussed and fought all day long, but there was two seconds where everybody was smiling. I'm going to put that on social media. Right? I don't want everybody to know my family's really falling apart, but, uh, hey, we had a moment here where everybody looked like they were happy. I'm going to put that out there. They, they had a social media mentality where the religious crowd was living for the applause of people. It was all about being seen. It was all about being recognized. It was all about what can I do to get people to look at me and applaud me and celebrate me and, and honor me and, and give homage to me. And so Jesus comes in and just kind of flips this thing upside down. And he said, guys, when you pray, don't pray like that. As a matter of fact, he said, why don't you just go into your prayer closet? Why don't you get along with God? And if you'll pray in private, listen to this, God will reward you in public. If you pray in private, God will reward you in public. Now, let me tell you something Jesus was not saying. Jesus was not saying that there's something wrong with public prayer. How many know public prayer is really a vital part of what God wants to do? Our prayers that we pray together in church, how many know it's powerful when we're praying together? Powerful in prayer. How many know that when you go out to eat with your family and you bow your head, not to be seen by people, but out of reverence to God and you bless your food, how many know there's power in that prayer? So the idea behind prayer is that we don't pray to be seen by people. We pray to be heard by God. Prayer is all about a connection with our Father. Prayer is all about coming into alignment and agreement with God who loves us and cares about us. It's not a show. It's not about pretense, and it's not about prestige. It's about connection with God the Father. And then Jesus goes on. Let's look at the rest of the Scripture. Jesus goes on and he says, and when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus again says, don't be like these people. He said, don't be like the religions of the world where they think they're going to be heard by their much reputation. How many know the power of your prayer is not in the length of your prayer? God is not impressed with how long we pray. God is not impressed with our repetitive words. God is not impressed with our eloquent words because the power of prayer is not in the length of our prayer or the repetition of our prayer. The power of our prayer is in our connection to God. Jesus said, don't just babble on and on and on. God is not impressed with your wordy prayers. But instead, he says, pray like this. And then this is how he teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Because the power of prayer is not in our petition, it is in our connection with God. How many of you have ever been on a phone call with somebody and you were talking to them and, and the cell phone dropped the call and about 20 minutes later they call you and say, hey, I just realized I lost you. 
You know, because for 20 minutes they never stopped talking or took a breath. It took them 20 minutes to realize they were still talking and there was nobody there listening. So they finally call you back, right? Let me think about it just like this. The power of that call, the power of their words was not in what they were saying. The power of their words was in their connection to you. The moment they lost connection, their words had no power. The same is true of prayer. The moment we start praying to be heard by other people, the moment we start praying to impress people, the moment we start praying out of an alternative motive other than a heart that says, God, I want to know you, and I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we lose the connection. And it's not about the amount of our words. It's about the connection of our heart to a Father who loves us and cares about us. How many know God is a good Father, and He really does love you, and he really does care about each and every one of us. You matter to him. So Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, get along with God. When you pray, make sure that you're connecting with your Father. And when you pray, make sure that your prayers are never about a pretense to be seen by people. Make sure it's all about connecting your heart to God because God wants to connect with you. And then Jesus kind of does something. Look at this next scripture. Jesus kind of circles back to something he taught us. In verse 12, as a part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And in verse 14, he circles back to that. Look what he says. And if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I want you to see something here. I think I think what Jesus is doing, he's just taught us what we call the Lord's Prayer, and now he's kind of circling back to this forgiveness thing. And I think it's significant because I think he's trying to teach us something. I think one of the most powerful elements of prayer is that we understand, number one, that unforgiveness hinders prayer. Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters who have sinned against you, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying you're not saved. He's not saying God doesn't love you. He's not saying you're not going to go to heaven when you die. But he is saying that because of unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart toward another person, it has affected your relationship with God. It's affected your relationship with God. Relationships with people matter so much to God that God has contingent our ability to communicate and connect with him effectively by how we treat other people. And as we go into 2024, let me just say something. One of the most powerful principles of prayer that you can probably learn is the principle of forgiveness. That forgiveness frees me, right? Forgiveness doesn't free the other person. They're still accountable to God for the choices and decisions they've made. Forgiveness frees me from the consequences and choices of their sin over my life. And now I can not only move forward, but I can connect with God through prayer and have a life-giving relationship with Him. The power of forgiveness is that forgiveness enables us to connect to God. Now think about this. It was just the holiday seasons and Christmas. Everybody kind of gets together. A lot of times at Christmas you see you see the family you want to see. You see the family you don't always want to see, and everybody comes together, right? And you get together with everybody. And how many know that sometimes if you're with family members and if there is bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, how many know you can be in the same room but you're not connected? You can share the same meal but you're not connected. You can even open presents around the Christmas tree but if there's bitterness and resentment in your heart toward another person, you're not connected. It doesn't change the fact that they're your relative, but it does change the fact that you have a relationship with them. 
that connection that brings life is not there. Unforgiveness and bitterness creates a wall of separation that keeps us from communing with one another even in the natural. But here's what Jesus said, when your heart is hard toward when your heart is hardened toward another person, it hardens your heart toward God. And it creates this disconnect. See, one of the most critical things that Jesus did is the scribes and Pharisees had a religious idea of God that was all this spiritual thing. And Jesus brought our relationship to God down to a level that says it's also a relational thing. Your relationships with people affect your relationship with God. That's why forgiveness matters. So Jesus said, when you pray, forgive. And then he goes on in the next verse, verse 16, he says, and when you fast, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheaved so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. How many of you know that's good advice even when you're not fasting? Right? Get a bath and wear deodorant, right? That's kind of in the Bible right there. That's good advice for all of us. When you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, verse 18, and then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who sees what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you again. Jesus is telling us our private devotion produces a public reward. Private devotion to God produces a public reward. Let me just tell you something. If you want to excel on your job, then connect with God in private. If you want to excel on your job, then connect with God in private. Private devotion produces a public reward. If you want to excel in your marriage, connect with God in private. If you want to excel financially, then connect with God in private. If you want to excel in your business, then connect with God in private. Why? Because private devotion always produces a public reward. Jesus rewards us for what we do in private solely as a connection to him. Your relationship with God matters that much to God that he says, if you'll meet me in private, I'll reward you in public. Amen? All right, so let's talk about some prayer and fasting kind of guidelines. Let me just give you kind of a training track, something to kind of run upon as you kind of move into this. So the first thing I want you to see about prayer and fasting is that it requires a strategy that will engage us spiritually. The purpose of 21 days of prayer and fasting is that we would engage spiritually with God. The purpose of prayer and fasting, listen to me, is not to lose weight. Fasting is not a spiritual diet. The goal of 21 days of prayer and fasting is not that you lose weight, and it's not even that you, quote, abstain from food. We're going to talk about that, and that's a vital part of what we're going to be doing. But it's not even that. The purpose of 21 days of prayer and fasting is that you engage spiritually with God. If you you pray and fast for 21 days and your entire focus is on what you're not going to eat, then you miss the entire focus of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'll be honest with you, we've been doing this for many, many years, and there have been seasons where I look back on some times of prayer and fasting, and I got distracted, and I was so focused on what I wasn't going to eat that I missed out on what I was really supposed to be doing, and that was connecting with God. 
And so as we talk about prayer and fasting, we recognize that the ultimate goal of prayer and fasting is to create a spiritual strategy that engages us with God. How are we going to do that? We're going to engage with God through prayer, through worship, and through the Word of God. And I say this every year, and I want to just say it again here at our Holly Pond campus today. It's going to require three things. If you're going to have a devotional life with the Lord, if you're really going to connect with God, you're going to have to have a set place, a set time, and a set plan. You're going to have to make an appointment with Jesus if you're going to cultivate a life-giving relationship with him. Now, this is true for me. It may not be true for you, but let me tell you what I know about my life. If I try to work into my schedule some quiet time with Jesus, it will never work. If I try to work it in, I say, well, you know, I'm gonna, when I get time later on today, I'm going to read my Bible. When I get time later on today, I'm going to have some prayer time. When I get time later on today, I'm going to do some worship time. And you know what will happen? There will never be time later on in the day. And so something I learned a long time ago is that if I value my relationship with God, just like I value my relationship with my wife or my children, I'm going to have to make an appointment. You might have to make an appointment. When you got together over the holidays, you probably made an appointment. You set a place. Hey, we're getting together at our house, and everybody's coming over at 2 o'clock, and we're going to open presents and eat, eat together. We had a plan. We had a place. We had a time. Guess what? If your holiday meal and gathering deserve that, so much more does your relationship with God deserve it. So you got to set a place. For me, for many years, mine, mine actually just changed. For many years, I would meet every morning with God at our dining room table. That's where I would meet with the Lord. But we're now empty nesters. Our son, who's 23, just got married in September. So our house is totally empty. So we've been redoing some stuff. So I now have a study in our house. And so over the last couple of months, now my quiet time takes place in the study. I get to go in the room. i got some books on the wall, a little desk, and still got a pile of junk we got to get rid of. But anyway, so here we are. So I'm going in there, and, and that's where I'm having my quiet. And for me, for me, it's 5 to 5.30 every morning. 5 to 5.30 every morning, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. 5 to 5.30 every morning, I'm at that place. I've got coffee, I've got my cup of water, and I've got my iPad and my Bible opened up, and I'm ready to meet with the Lord. And if I don't set that time, it don't happen. So I've got to have a set time. What time am I going to do it? 5 to 5.30. Where am I going to do it at? Now in my study. And then I've got to have a plan i got to have a strategic plan of what am I going to do, what scripture am I going to read, right? Because how many know Bible bingo sometimes gets old? Right, bingo, or yeah, just flip it open, whatever speaks to me today. How many know that's not really the best way? That's not how you go to college and get an education, right? That, that you don't become a doctor and they say, well, here's some medical books. Why don't you play bingo throughout and just read it wherever you want to read? No, it's kind of important that you kind of maybe read the whole thing. We try to do a Bible reading plan. We do a Bible reading, not try. We do a Bible reading plan every year. For many years, we read through the entire Bible every year. Last year, Kelly and I read through the New Testament. We did one chapter a day through the New Testament, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, on, on Saturday and Sunday, we'd read a Psalm and a Proverb. And that was our plan this year. So I can tell you what I'm going to be doing in 31 days. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be reading in 45 days. I'm going to be telling you what I'm going to read in 97 days because i got a plan. And you know what? I believe my relationship with God is that important. How about yours? It's so important that we need a place, a time, and a plan. Now, what we're going to do over the next 21 days, we're going to give you a plan. We're going to give you something to help you get started, to launch you into cultivating that kind of relationship with the Lord. So let's talk about that. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to create points of prayer. Points of prayer. Why do we need points of prayer? We need points of prayer because points of prayer release us from striving in the flesh 
and they empower us to win in the Spirit. Let me tell you something you may or may not know. Everything that is manifested in the flesh first has to be won and established in the Spirit. God is a Spirit. And when you see how the kingdom of God works, God establishes something spiritually, and then he manifests it physically. And here's the problem. Most of us are fighting in the flesh, and we're losing. Right? We're fighting in the flesh. you got a wayward child or, or somebody that you're trying to win the Lord, and you're fighting in the flesh, and you're fighting in the flesh. And how many know if you fight in the flesh, that person that you're trying to bring to Christ, you actually push them further away from Christ? We fight in the flesh financially. Right? We, we got all these side hustles, all these side jobs. We're trying to do all this stuff to make extra money, extra money, extra money. And we just keep coming short, and we keep coming short, and we keep coming short. Relationally, right? Marriages and relationships. Your marriage gets in a strain, and you start fighting in the flesh. And you know what happens? You'll keep saying the wrong thing. You'll keep putting your foot in your mouth. You'll keep pushing your spouse further away from you instead of drawing them nearer to you. Why? Because if you're in the flesh, you never win. Jesus said the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. So if we're going to win this battle for our lives, we're going to have to win it not in the natural realm. We're going to win it in the spiritual realm. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have to work and do some things. You're going to have to probably work your tail off. Come on, somebody. But it's going to be worth it because how many know when you're working with God, you get the results you want? When you're working in the flesh, you always get the results you don't want. So let's look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, the apostle James says this. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. But look at this last part. Yet you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James says you're striving, you're fighting, you're warring, you're doing all these things in your flesh. And all you got to do is ask God. We've said it a hundred times already today. Maybe not a hundred, I've said it ten times. God's a good father. And he loves to give good things to his children. Jesus said it is our father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom the king's dominion, the king's power, the king's grace. Everything you need for life and godliness, the Bible says, is wrapped up in the knowledge of Christ Jesus in knowing God. And God desires to give us good things. And here's what he says. He says, man, we're, we're operating in the flesh. We're warring. We're fighting. We're fussing. We're scheming. We're strategizing. And all we had to do was just ask God. Look at Philippians. Look what the scripture says. The Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Pray about everything. Pray about the good things and the bad things. Pray about everything that comes your way. Think about what James said again. James, James made two comparisons. He said you want what you don't have, and so you strive and you fight to get it. Or else you're jealous of what other people have, and you try to take it away from them. Now, I want you to tell you what, what, what is awesome about prayer. The Bible tells us that we can ask God for what we need, but it also says we can ask God for what we want. 
In Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it, and you'll have it. The book of Psalms says that God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here's what's powerful about prayer. In prayer, you can ask God for what you want. You can ask God for what you need. You can ask God for what you desire. And God is a father who loves you. And he wants to respond to your prayers. So why do we need points of prayer? We need points of prayer so we stop striving and we start warring. Instead of striving in the flesh, we can start warring in the spirit. And we start praying and interceding. And we start declaring and decreeing what God has promised in his word for our lives. So I want to ask you a question. What do you want? What do you want God to do in your life this year? You ought to think about that this week. And when we kick off our 21 days of prayer and fasting next Sunday, we're going to give you, um, we're going to give you daily points of prayer that are going to be strategic for our church. But I want to challenge you because you need personal points of prayer. And you need to ask yourself, what do I want? What do I want God to do in my life this year? What do I really want? And then what you need to do is you need to begin to pray into that. We begin to pray into the thing that we desire God to do into our lives. Not complain about it, not gripe about it, but pray into it. And all of a sudden, God begins to respond. You have not because you ask not. The second thing that James talked about, he said, not only do you want not want what you don't have, he says, but you want what other people have. And as I was praying about that, the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, Keith, what if we flip the coin on that? He said, jealousy and covetousness is wanting what other people have. He said, what if, what if instead of looking at other people and being jealous of them, what if you looked at other people and were inspired by them? What if you looked at them and you saw their faith and you saw their courage and you saw their hope and you saw their patience and you saw their mercy and you saw their compassion and you said, you know what, God, I want to be gracious like that. I want to be merciful like that. I want to be kind like that. I want to have a hunger for your word like that. I want to have a passion for souls like that. God, I want to be that person. Instead of being jealous and envious of them, we can be inspired by them. Think about that. How many know we ought to inspire one another? We ought to be an inspiration to each other so that I can look at you and you can look at me and we can find inspiration. Say, I want what she's got. I want what he's got. Lord, I want to be more like that. And here's the good news. It doesn't have to be driven by jealousy. It can be driven by an inspiration that says, I want to climb higher than I've ever climbed. And so, God, help me to have that patience. Help me to have that mercy. God, stir up that hunger in me that I see in that other person. How powerful that is. So we want points of prayer so that we're pressing in to God through prayer to see those things that we want, those things that we need, and those things that we desire in our lives. Amen? All right. Look at that next thing. Our next point is only when he points of prayer, but we're going to create what we just like to call nights of worship. Shondor talked about it. We're going to have corporate worship because corporate worship produces a corporate anointing. And personal worship cultivates intimacy with God. Every Sunday night throughout the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to gather together for one hour of corporate worship. If you love what we did this morning, you're going to love what we're going to do that night, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And the reason that we need worship is worship is powerful. So let's talk about that first, that second part. Corporate worship releases a corporate anointing, but personal worship, 
cultivates intimacy with God. The word worship, one of the words for worship literally in the Greek means to kiss the feet. To kiss the feet. What is worshiping? Worshiping is kissing the feet of Jesus. Now, I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've washed some feet over the years. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever kissed any feet. <laughs> How many know that's a whole other level of intimacy? Come on, somebody. <laughs> but that's what worship does. You want to know God? Worship Him. You want to you know His heart? Worship Him. You want to connect with God? You want to draw near to Him? You want to you not only share your soul but have the Lord begin to open His, His treasure chests of His own heart to you? It's amazing what happens in worship. It's amazing what happens in worship. And it can be as simple, listen to me, it can be as simple as you, as you putting on a praise song every day and say, I'm going to just take this one song and I'm just going to worship God. I'm going to kiss His feet. I'm going I'm to love on Jesus. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to, I'm going to adore him. I'm going to glorify him. And let me tell you what's awesome about God. How, how many know worship is really what we give to God? One of my great, greatest favorite stories about worship is, is a guy came up to his pastor one Sunday after church and said, Pastor, I want you to know I didn't enjoy the worship service today. And the pastor looked at him and said, Well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. How many know worship ain't for you? Worship's for him. But let me tell you what's awesome about God. God loves all kind of worship. God loves all kind of worship. And God loves worship so much, he'll let you pick your favorite worship song and worship him with it. <laughs> he'll let you pick your favorite worship song, and you can worship him with it. But what would happen if every day you begin to incorporate worship? Just one song. Where you were just nothing but worse. God, I'm just going to give you my love and my affection. I'm going to kiss the feet of Jesus. I had an opportunity just this past week. Uh, I went hiking with a couple guys. We did a little 12-mile hike up in Tennessee, and, and uh, we were sitting around the campfire that night. And here, here's what I, the Lord just reminded me of this morning. We were sitting around the campfire, just three of us guys, and it was amazing what men started to share with other men just sitting around a campfire. They started telling stories about stuff I had no clue ever happened in their lives. They started sharing some struggles and some heartaches and some victories. And I was just, I was just in awe of the Lord. How, it was such a powerful, wonderful time. And we laughed and did all the other guy stuff too, you know. But anyway, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, and the Lord just reminded me of that this morning. He said, Keith, he said, when you worship me, there's something intimate about worship that exposes the hearts of people. And, and this is what he said. He said, not only do I get to see you, he said, but you get to see me in a way you've never seen me before. That's what I love about God. There's a depth to him where you never get to the end of knowing who he is and how beautiful and wonderful that is. Amen? So worship. The next thing that we're going to do to cultivate, create a strategy is not only do we need prayer, not only do we need worship, but, well, let, let, me, let me read one more scripture. Let's talk about corporate worship for a second. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So he's talking about there's the power of prayer, the power of agreement, the power of our words. But then in verse 20, Jesus says this, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Let me tell you what's powerful about corporate worship. Corporate worship releases a corporate anointing because Jesus said this. He said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, let me just talk to you for a second. So we understand that there is what's called the omnipresence of God, which means God is everywhere. David in the book of Psalms says, there's nowhere I can go that you're not there, God. If I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go to the lowest depths, you're there. Everywhere I go, God, you're there. That's the omnipresence of God. And then if you're a born-again Christian, there's the indwelling presence of God. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit living and abiding and dwelling on the inside of us. But Jesus is talking about something different. He says, when two or three people gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There is a manifest presence of God that shows up in worship that you'll never get all by yourself. There is a manifest presence of God that shows up when God's people gather in his name, singing his songs, worshiping the king, bowing and kissing his feet. Great things happen in his presence. Just as this altar filled a while ago with people as a result of the word and worship going forth, creating an atmosphere where God speaks and where God moves. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me after church and say, Pastor Keith, during worship today, the Lord broke something off of me. I found freedom today in worship. During worship today, God healed something in my heart, and I was carrying this thing around, and for the first time today, I feel peace. During worship today, I saw this vision, and God opened something, and I've been praying about something. The Lord showed me today in a moment what he wanted me to do in this next season of my life. That's the power of corporate worship. That's the power of us coming together in the banner in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory. Amen? All right. Let's talk about our next thing. So let's talk about the Word of God, prayer, worship, and the Word. Scripture memorization. Scripture memorization is vital. I'll be honest with you. Last year was the first time we said we're going we're gonna to incorporate not just the Scripture but memorizing Scripture into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Last year we gave away these bracelets. Anybody remember those little rubber bracelets we gave away last year? We're going to give them away again this year. Next Sunday you'll get a Scripture card and you'll get a bracelet that will help you to memorize that Scripture. We'll have a key Scripture for every week of the three weeks of prayer. And we're going to start out next week. We're going to talk about courage, conviction, and calling are going to be our three focal points for this coming 21 days of prayer and fasting. But, but we started last year saying we're going to begin to memorize Scripture. And here's, here's what I recognize, and this is, this is sad to me. But I recognize that, unfortunately, in our modern American church age, Scripture memorization has kind of become a kid thing. You know, we want our kids, when they're in children's church or Sunday school, we want them to learn Bible verses and John 3.16, and we want them to learn the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. And, and, and we've made Scripture memorization a child thing. But how many of you understand the Bible says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit? And the sword of the Spirit is not a child thing, it's an adult thing. Come on, somebody. 
We need the sword. As an adult, you need the sword of the Spirit now in your life more than you ever needed it when you were a child. Not that our children don't need it. Come on, let's put it in their hearts too. But we need God's Word hidden in our hearts so we can win the battles that we face every single day. Because how many of you know that when all hell breaks loose in your life, you don't always have time to go home and look up a verse? You need God's Word in your heart so you can use it as the sword of the Spirit to fight against the enemy and win the war that God wants you to win. So my prayer, my prayer is that through these next 21 days, we're going we're gonna to create a holy habit of memorizing Scripture. We're going to begin to hide God's Word in our heart. Why? Because think about this, focused Scripture produces focused thoughts, which produces focused results. God's Word. Word works. And if you'll focus on the Word, it'll focus your thoughts, and it'll produce results in your life. For as a man thinketh in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. As you think, so is he. Isn't it interesting, guys, that we can quote the stats of our favorite football team, but we can't quote Scripture? Isn't it interesting that we can sing every non-Christian song that comes on the radio, but we can't quote Scripture? It's amazing what we can memorize. And I have people all the time, well, Pastor Keith, I just, I just can't memorize Scripture. No, if you can memorize statistics to football, if you can memorize the songs that come on the radio that are not honoring God, by the way, most of them, then you can memorize Scripture. You are 100% capable. And let me tell you something. As a born-again believer, you have the mind of Christ. You have a spiritual advantage to memorize the Word of God. There was a gentleman, his name was Robin. Robin was a part of our church for years. He's, he's went home to be with the Lord now. Robin grew up as a drug addict, and he grew up homeless on the streets. His parents were drug addicts. He grew up to become a drug addict. And uh, Robin had aneurysms in his brain. He had multiple aneurysms. And he survived, and he survived, and he survived. After one of those, the last aneurysm he had, he got born again. He accepted Christ. And the Lord told him this. The Lord said, if you'll memorize my word, I'll heal your brain. And I'll never forget, he stood up one night at Celebrate Recovery. He was our guest speaker at Celebrate Recovery. And for 20 to 25 minutes straight, he quoted Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Not one more aneurysm had he ever had. God restored his brain. And Robin spent his adult life, he still looked like a homeless drug addict, by the way, <laughs> But he spent his adult life going into drug-infested neighborhoods. Every Saturday morning, he'd go to Gunnersville to the worst neighborhoods, and he'd buy Happy Meals for all the kids. And he'd go pass out Happy Meals, and he'd tell those kids how much Jesus loved them and how that he died on the cross for their sins. He spent his life reaching people, ministering to people, loving people, all because he got born again and said, I'm going to memorize the Word of God, and it changed his life forever. So powerful. So I want you to listen to what the Bible says about the power of God's Word. Psalms 119, starting in verse 9, it says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your Word. I have tried hard to find you, the Psalms has said, so don't let me wander from your commands. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me just tell you something. God's written word is powerful. 
but it's God's hidden word in your heart that transforms your life. The Bible is the most amazing book ever written, but until it goes off the pages into your heart, until the written word becomes the living word in your heart, it never changes your life. But the moment the word gets hidden in your heart, it will change your life forever. And the Psalms as David said, Thy word, God your word, I have hidden in my heart. Why? So that I will not sin against you. Why? Because it is the sword of the Spirit by which I overcome the temptations and the trials and the attacks of the enemy. Listen to what else he says. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, so teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. So think about that. I have recited aloud. So what does that mean? He's saying the scripture out loud. He's speaking the word. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commands and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. So listen, listen to what the Psalms has said. Listen to what David said. He said, number one, God, I've hidden your word in my heart. I've recited your word. I've rejoiced in your word. I've studied your word. I reflect on your word. I delight in your word so that I will not forget your word. God's word is life. Amen. And when we receive the Word of God, we receive the life of God into us. So we're going to be focused on memorizing Scripture. Here's our last point. The last thing we're going to do is just a guideline to help us establish some holy habits is we're going to define the fast and stick to it. Define the fast and stick to it. So this is what I want to challenge you. We, when we do a corporate fast, we don't tell people what to fast from. We ask people to seek the Lord. And ask God to speak specifically to you to show you what he wants you to fast from. And, and I'm going to show you something from Scripture out of the book of Daniel in just a minute that I've never seen before. And I'm going to share it with you today that I believe may bring hopefully some clarity into your life. But let me just, let me just say this. When it comes to fasting, the biblical definition of a fast is to abstain from food. Now, I know a lot of people fast social media, and I think that's awesome, and you probably should. Amen. But let me encourage you, whatever you fast, make sure there's an element of food. And let me tell you why you need to fast some food. Because there is an appetite in our flesh that needs to be crucified. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, I crucify my flesh so that I might live in Christ. There is an appetite in our flesh that needs to be crucified. And there is something powerful about learning how to say no to the appetite of my flesh so I can say yes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if I walk in, my, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if I walk in the flesh, I will not fulfill the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So I've got to be willing to say no to myself so I can say yes to the Holy Spirit. So you need to define that fast and then stick to it for 21 days. If you fall down, if you mess up, get up, start over. It's okay, right? Nobody's throwing stones at you. Nobody's going to be mad at you. Nobody's going to be upset with you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to love you because this is an awesome time for you to press in the Lord. And let me tell you why. Prayer and fast or fasting elevates and accelerates God's work in your life. When, you're in, when you have prayer, worship, in the Word, you know what? When you add fasting to it, it's like adding fuel to the fire. Fasting elevates and accelerates what God is doing in your life in a supernatural way. Well, Pastor Keith, me abstaining from food doesn't even make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense because it's not natural. It's supernatural. 
And we're not just saying no to food for the sake of saying no to food. And we're not saying no to food just so we can lose weight. We are saying no to food. We are abstaining and crucifying our flesh for the purpose of engaging with God. Again, if all you do is abstain from food and you don't engage spiritually, then you've missed the mark. But when you engage spiritually and add abstaining from food, which is called fasting, all of a sudden it's going to accelerate and elevate what God is doing in your life. So let me give you a scripture, Daniel chapter 1. It says, verse 5, The king assigned them daily rations of food and wine from his own kitchens, they were to be trained. They were to be trained for three years, and they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of of Judah. Now, let me just catch you up real quick. So Daniel and we call him Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four Israelites boy, boys who had been taken captive. They were now in Babylon. They were in a foreign land. They were living under the rule of a pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who worshiped idols, did not worship God. And so now they've brought food before them. Listen to what the scripture says. They brought food before them, a daily ration of food for, from their kitchens. And in verse 8, the Bible says this, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, what you need to know about the Jewish people is they had a very strict religious diet. According to the law, there were certain things they could and could not eat. And now they're in a pagan kingdom ruled by a pagan king, and he's serving them all this food that does not line up with the law of God that they've lived their lives by. And so the Bible says that Daniel asked him, Daniel says he was determined in his heart that he would not defile himself by the king's food. And as I was reading that this week, the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, Keith, I want you to ask the people this question. When it comes to what do we fast from? Because that's probably one of the questions I get more than anything. Well, Pastor Keith, what do I need to fast from? What do I need to fast from? Well, you need to hear from God. Maybe this will help you. This is what he said. He said, ask the people this. What are you eating that's defiling you. What are you eating that's defiling you? Let, let me say it like this. What are you eating that is eating away at your health and your spiritual legacy? What are you physically eating that's eating away at your health and your spiritual legacy? Many of you know or some of you know about five years ago I started losing weight, trying to get in shape. I'm still losing weight, and I'm in better shape than I was five years ago. But the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, you're going to die physically before you fulfill spiritually what I've called you to do. You're overweight and you're out of shape and your eating is horrible. You're going to die. And you're going to die prematurely because you're not honoring the temple, your body that I gave you. And so let me tell you what's powerful about 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, is there anything that I'm eating that's eating away at me? I meet people all the time in the church that have been diagnosed, and we say that, that's how we say it, they've been diagnosed with certain diseases because it's not your disease, it belongs to the devil, right? But they've been diagnosed with certain things, and they've been diagnosed with diabetes, and yet they keep going on eating sweets just like it's sugar Sunday. They've been diagnosed with other things. I had a heart attack May the 13th of this year. I'm healthier than I've been in 20 years. I had a heart attack. I had to have three stents put in my heart. And the doctor said, one of the things he said you don't need to eat is fried, fried foods. And you know what? Not eating fried foods is wonderful until you want to eat fried foods. So what are you eating that's eating away at you? 
What are you eating that's eating away at you? And just think about that. Is there anything I'm putting in my body? And maybe it's not what you're eating. Maybe it's the amount that you're eating. How many of you know, how many know that, a, that a tablespoon of peanut butter is okay, but a tub full of peanut butter may not be okay? Right? A serving of ice cream is probably okay. The whole container is probably not okay. Right? One little Debbie might be all right, but don't eat a whole box of little Debbies. Come on, somebody. So what are you eating that's eating at you? What is defiling you? What is limiting your not only physical health, but think about this. The bigger picture is it's limiting your spiritual legacy. If you're doing something physically that's undermining your health, then you're also doing something spiritually that's undermining your legacy. Because we want to fulfill the life God's called us to live. Amen? So my prayer for us today is that we will begin to make daily decisions to create holy habits. And starting next week, next Sunday, we're going we're gonna to give you daily points of prayer. We're going to create nights of worship every week. We're going to give you scripture memory cards and memory bracelets to help you begin to hide God's word in your heart. But you're going to have to make a decision. You, like Daniel, are going to have to be determined that you're going to do this thing that you're going to take that step, that you're going to press into God, and that you're going to be engaged with Him because you believe, like I believe, that your relationship with God matters. I want us to do this. Uh, let's just bow our heads. Maybe you're here today, and maybe, you, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been listening to this message and I'm talking about praying and fasting and reading the Bible and worship and you're like, Pastor Keith, I don't even know God. Somebody invited me and I came today out of respect for them and, and all those things are so foreign to me. I got good news for you today. They don't have to be. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that today is a day of salvation and now is God's appointed time. You can accept Christ today. And here's what it requires. The Bible says we have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. You have to be willing to say today, Pastor Keith, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day and I'm willing to repent of my sins and turn to God and I want to confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, I want that. I'm tired of living my life my way. I'm tired of walking down the path I've been going down. Hey, it doesn't take a genius to realize that our way doesn't work. And maybe you've realized that this morning. And today you say, today's my day, Pastor Keith. I want to begin a brand new year with Jesus as the Lord of my life. So if that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith right now just to raise your hand in this building and say, Pastor Keith, that's me. I want to accept Christ today. I want to pray. His hands are going up right now. This is your opportunity just to acknowledge Jesus and say, Lord, I want to accept Christ today. I'm about to pray with those that have raised their hands. But if that's you, go ahead and slip your hand up this morning. Thank you, Father. You can put your hand down. Let's just pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to say it out loud with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, then today Jesus Christ became Lord of your life. Our ushers, I think, have some packets. If you raised your hand, we'd love to give you a little information. We'd love to get some information from you, personally follow up with you, and help you take that next step in following Jesus. Amen. Uh, so if you will, uh, just hang out for just a minute. I'll have our ushers get with you before you leave today. God bless you today. We love you so much. On behalf of Pastor Ian and Jessica, they love you guys. And uh, we're so excited about what God is doing. Happy New Year's, and uh, have a great day.